It's Animal Calls! Does your dog seem like he's on doggy downers? Does your cat act less than catty? Does your horse keep saying, of course, just to agree with you instead of saying what he really wants? If so, you've come to the right place. Animal Calls takes your calls, helps you understand your pets, and helps them thrive. And now, here's our ringmaster of the Animal Crackers world, UW-certified animal behaviorist, Carpathia Kingsley. Hi, I'm your host, Carpathia Kingsley, coming to you from the beautiful Pacific Northwest, where maybe not so beautiful yesterday, we had a lot of smoke up here because of all of the... uh, fires going on in different regions but it's a beautiful day here today and um, I am a certified animal behaviorist from the University of Washington and I'm here to take your calls so we're looking forward to people calling in if Anthony can give us the call numbers sure thing the call in line is 425-373-5527 that's 425-373-5527 or toll free 800 or rather not 800, but 888-298-5569, 888-298-5569. Wonderful. So there's so many things that we can talk about today, but I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention that today is Friday the 13th. Mm. Done, done, done. Done. You know, my, my chandelier that, that, ruptured in the middle of the night last week um really scary like how does that even happen that's such uh like poltergeist activity that should have happened last night because or early this morning because that would have been more fitting for a friday the 13th but i wanted to talk a little bit more about cats i mean we'll definitely get into dogs and other animals and whatever uh we wish to address today But for Friday the 13th, let's talk a little bit about kitty cats. Um, You know, they have that stigma of um, (laughs) having issues with black cats and whatnot and all the superstitions that surround that. And I've done quite a bit of studying of things in, in medieval times and whatnot. And cats often come up. I believe it was Pope Gregory the Ninth, if I am correct, on, I believe it was June the 13th of 1233, if I have that correct, when he decided to declare that the cat was a diabolical creature. And what they would notice is people would be having their um, their ceremonies and whatnot, where they might have been doing a little bit of cat worshiping or having cats present. So they started to associate that with people being witches and into sorcery and gave this really negative stigma to cats, in particular black cats. Now, I believe if you look at pictures from the Last Supper, you will even see Judas sitting on the other side of the table with a cat sitting close by staring at him. And it's been said that that was symbolism of evil and treachery and and backstabbing and all that and putting that together with the cat. So I'm real open to talking about cat behavior and why cats differ from our canine companions. So if you have cat issues, I really implore you to call the show today and let's talk about that. Or if you have a spooky cat story, 
I've heard a lot of spooky cat stories. But I'll start by saying that cats are unique. If you are a cat owner and you love cats, you know, there's cat people and there's dog people. What really makes cats different from dogs? Um, as a scientist, I like to start with looking at genetics, checking out the DNA. When we think of an animal being domesticated, we, we often think of dog. Dog is man's best friend, <clears throat> and dogs have been very, very domesticated for as long as I remember. I mean, there are, there are things where you can find in caves from 30,000 years ago, the footprint of man next to side by side with the footprint of a dog. And that was about the beginning that we believe where canines decided to walk that path hand in hand, paw in paw, foot by foot with man. And it was their decision to want to cohabitate with men. It was a symbiotic relationship where men would use them in hunting and learning how to be better hunters. And the canine companions would benefit from the scraps. You know, it goes all the way back to at least 30,000 years. So what we see in dogs is there was this willingness for one to cohabitate with man and become man's best friend. It, it, it wasn't so much as uh, research would indicate of uh, man corralling these animals in to use them for their benefit like we did with horses and elephants and other animals that were beasts of burden, but rather this actual friendship that we created with our canine companions. Um, whereas cats, basically they would adorn the palaces and, and whatnot in places like Egypt to be used for rat abatement, to keep the mice in check. It was a good relationship that we worked together with them because you had a lot of plagues and disease that would be brought in um, thanks to rats and mice and other critters like that that crawl around and carry diseases. So cats were fantastic. They were very necessary to provide that, um, provide that service for us. But dogs were definitely uh, a different case. When we look at them genetically, what we've seen when we started with the wolf is an animal that has mutated, if you want to use that term, genetically differed, genetic, genetically altered themselves to a point of being completely different animals from what the wolf was. We, we still have a cluster of dogs um, like your Pomeranians, your Akitas, your American Eskimos and um, Siberian Huskies and Malamutes and all those guys that still possess the wolf genome, keeping them wild in a sense. And therefore, there's a completely different way of managing those dogs, understanding those dogs and understanding their language versus cats, which did not really genetically change. If you look at the DNA on a cat, it's almost indiscernible between your house pet and a wild forest cat. They really didn't come along and change that much. So what you have really is pretty much still a wild animal, uh, by the way we look at it scientifically, and a pet that is more like owning an exotic, isn't it? So kudos to you all out there who want to embrace the wild nature of this animal and love on your 
your crazy little kitties. Uh, are they affectionate and loving? Absolutely. Are they totally dialed into their instincts? 110%. So we, you got to love them for that. But on this Friday the 13th, I, I would love to talk about cats and cat behavior. Um, I can start with a friend of mine who can't call in right now because she's working. Had an, an issue with a pet cat, a friend of hers cat, family member's cat, where she would go over and see the cat quite frequently and this cat would just come out and love on her and she had no problems whatsoever with this kitty then she goes over one day and everything is changed everything is upside down this cat is now coming out and hissing at her and uh, doesn't seem to recognize her is being um, fearful and running away and this is just where did this come from why did this happen and as a scientist and an animal behaviorist, I, I step back and I like to look at things, you know, what 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 is this animal trying to convey? What does our body language say in these situations? What are we doing differently? Could it be we're wearing something? Could it be that that the the scent is thrown thing? Maybe she was around something, maybe she's wearing something different, sometimes sunglasses can be an issue when you suddenly see an animal behaving differently because now keep in mind from their perspective they're seeing a reflection of themselves and um, this can be upsetting so I'm looking at her as she's talking to me because we had this conversation in person and this is one of those things where had you not had this conversation in person and this is why I, I always suggest people employ a behaviorist to come to your house and assess your entire situation. If you're having serious issues or something suddenly changed, I can do as much as I can over the phone. And sometimes that can be enough, but sometimes you really have to be there. And this was one of those cases. So knowing her and what she normally looks like, when she showed up to have lunch with me this time, I noticed she had a perm. And prior to that, she had, uh, she has beautiful hair, but in this case, you know, her hair used to be straight, perfectly straight, and now she had this perm. Her hair is absolutely puffed up and sticking out on edge. And I asked her, was this right after having the perm? Now, and she said, yes. So I'm looking at her and in my observations, what I am noticing, for one, you could have that smell that a perm puts out. It's a a lot of, I, I didn't detect this when I saw her, but it, it is something to, to factor in. If you've done something with your hair recently, could that have uh, an unappealing smell that a dog or a cat or another animal is picking up on? But in her case, what I was noticing, change of the hair now standing out on edge. And as she's talking and telling me about this, I'm noticing, you know, if I was a cat, I might find that to be threatening when when cats are upset about something or fearful or on guard they tend to throw their hair up on end and you'll see a cat where their hair is just absolutely standing on end this is what they do this is what we look for in in behavior and body language which is huge and i'm seeing you kind of almost look threatening. Like you just walked in there and the cat could be looking at you and thinking, well, I knew this person, but why is she threatening me? Why is her hair sticking out to here? And like, she's coming at me uh, fiercely. And she stopped and was like, I never 
even would have thought of that. I never would have thought about that. So I asked her, you know, if you change it, it your does make style, sense because big hair in the eighties was really frightening. <laughs> well, yeah. And think about all the Aquanet that was um, put out into the atmosphere with uh, <laughs> all the, all the hairspray and everything that was being used. The smell of that was assaulting, let alone um, hair being on end. <laughs> yeah, uh, this that, would be a, a good time to remind people to call in with your questions about cats or dogs or horses or goats or sheep or whatever you got. Our call-in number, 425-373-5527, 425-373-5527, or 888-298-5569, 888-298-5569. You can also go to animalcallsradio.com where the numbers are listed, and you can listen to the live stream there. Thank you, Anthony. Um, always want to keep hearing that rolling back over and over because we need people to get that in their head. Sometimes it's hard for people to write down a number. Maybe you're driving. Is there another way that would make things easier if you were, say, on a cell phone or on the road to be able to connect? Well, it, it is difficult for people to be able to write these things down while they're driving. And that's why I say you can go to animalcallsradio.com because then you can basically pull over, just go to that URL real quick, and then you'll have the number right there for the call in. Thank you. So going back to my friend with the cat issue, she hadn't thought about this. So she went ahead and um, she changes her hairstyle frequently because she's fun like that. And she'd flattened her hair back out. And when she went back to see the cat, guess what? No more problem. So I believe the cat probably was reading into that, um, that she was kind of coming in threatened and, and or making a threat to the cat. So it's important for us to kind of get down on the animal's level and really stop and think about it. You know, really stop and think about how they're thinking, how they're processing something instead of kind of forcing our, our way of looking at things onto the animal. And that's, as, a, as an animal scientist, what we do. We, we really think about that. And um, I'll go on to talk about something that I came up with recently in regards to dogs barking. We hear dog barking issues all the time. How do I get my dog to stop barking? Why does my dog incessantly bark and it's driving me up the wall? And um, we've had a lot of calls in regards to excessive dog barking. And that really got me thinking. I, I have one breed of dog that has the wolf genome. He's a, an American Eskimo, and he just turned 15 yesterday. So, yay, happy birthday to him, and he's doing very well for his age. And then I have another dog who is a herding breed, and um, he's a, a Shetland sheep dog. And I constantly am having people come to me asking me why why they bark. They bark, 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 bark. What's with all the barking? How do I make my dog stop barking? Well, a big part of that is, for one, stopping and listening and watching the animal's behavior and trying to assess, you know, what what is the issue? What are they barking at? Um, we've had callers that would say that the dog would bark constantly when their phone would ping and make noises uh, because of the alerts. And simply the management of that helped by turning the sound off or muting that so your phone isn't pinging alerts all the time. Um, dogs are there to let you know that something's going wrong. To them, you're thinking, well, gosh, this is just my cell phone. 
But in the same respect, what if that was your your fire alarm or your smoke detector alarm in your house going off or somebody ringing a doorbell? There's really no difference between all that to a dog and, and alerting you that there's a foreign noise that's happening. They would do this. They would do this for each other. But when you think about it becoming just problematic where a dog is just barking and barking and barking, okay, as a behaviorist, I'm going to stop and watch this behavior. And now if you have other dogs, then this is super important because you're watching the behavior in the pack. What's what's everybody else doing? And this is going to be one of my really weird personal observations, which I have several and some things that I would like to implement in animal shelters and different areas where, um, you know, as a scientist, I have my theories and the things that I would like to see put into action and maybe adopted in different situations. Like um, I, I have one in particular I won't go into today because I, I almost kind of want to get a, a research grant on this one um, in regards to introducing animals um, that are being adopted out and in animal shelters. But I'll talk about the barking one. So while watching dogs barking, and if you have one that's just barking incessantly, you'll see other dogs disapprove of that behavior. So say you have another dog and it's just sick and tired of hearing the barking from the one dog that seems to be for no real good reason other than this dog is a barker and he likes to bark. And what I've seen, again, when you when you research behavior and you study behavior, you're looking at how the other animals um, deal with that. So dogs pack and you want to see how how is that dog dealt with within the pack. So in in the pack, you you what you see with the dogs is one who's incessantly barking, and maybe the other ones are disapproving of this, and you're watching that body language. And what I noticed is, in addition to snarling back at that dog to wish to put it in check, you have something that we can't do, and that's pinning back the ears. Dogs and so many animals show their emotions and their body language and signal each other through expression. And a lot of it is ears. You'll see this in horses, pinning their ears back, moving their ears independently to pick up sounds from all over. Um, Sometimes when a horse pins its ears back, it's because it's listening to the rider um, and what's going on behind it. So it doesn't necessarily mean the horse is angry, but often when a horse is angry, it does pin its ears back. When a dog is angry, it'll drop its ears and pin its ears back. Uh, I see this in so many animals that can emote that way. They're showing so much of this in the ear. Now, coinciding with that, there's a, a funny thing with my, my Shetland sheep dog because they really listen to you and they're so tuned into you. And with herding dogs too, they're very, um, very tuned into hand sign type language, body language, because they had to be if they were watching their handler from across a field and they were waiting for these signals and body language and little noises. Sometimes, you know, you can have complete conversations with a dog without making a single word, without saying a single thing or making a single noise, because these animals are across a field and they're watching you having to understand which way to go which way to turn, how, how to manage uh, a herd um, or a flock of animals. So wh- what you see is, is there's so much body language going on. I, I can work with my, my, ship, my Shetland sheepdog without speaking a single word. I can get him to fetch, retrieve, 
do a hip bump with me and drop the object he retrieved and back up away from it and retrieve it again without a single word being spoken. But what I was noticing with the disapproval of barking is the pinning back of the ears. Now with my Shetland sheep, like I was saying, I, I work with him in weird ways. I would do a funny thing where I would touch his nose and say nose. Now these are incredibly highly intelligent animals. So don't think I'm just being crazy here, although I might be. Uh, if I would touch his eye and then touch my eye and I, and it's just something that I liked doing with him um, for fun and kind of decided I'm going to test his intelligence. After doing this for so long, he, he does something. If I ask him for a kiss, he will give me a kiss. And we're not talking licking. We're talking bumping his mouth to my mouth, replicating a human peck. And he'll do that. So I started working with him saying, you know, kiss. And he knows to kiss. So I looked at him one day and I said, nose, where's my nose? You know, here's your nose. And I touch his nose. Where's my nose? And that little guy bumped my nose with his nose. I then said, I, where's my eye? He bumps my eye with his nose. And he can do this. It, it's like, wow, was that a coincidence? He can do this every day, all day, 100% correct, anytime you ask him to do this. And I, I made videos of that. And it's astounding where he completely understands this and he can transpose this from himself to you. He knows my nose. He knows my eyes. But what I noticed in doing this that he did not understand and he could not pick up was ears. So I play with his ears and I'm like, these are your ears. Where are my ears? He's lost. He knows my eyes. He knows my mouth. He knows my nose. For the life of him, I don't have ears. And that really made me start thinking, you know, that must be really weird for a dog. To them, our ears are often covered by our hair. We don't show the body language and the emotion with our ears that other animals can show. And there's so much body language and emotion being emoted through ears. So that might I, be a, a new consumer product you could develop where you've got these pin on <laughs> ears that you can, you know, run with your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and talk to your animals with the ears. Speaking, well, you could of, have... You could have the strings underneath it that you, you kind of pull like the strings that would make the ears flop and go back and go forward. But I, yeah. I'm working with him doing this as a hand signal, making ears with my hands. Now, it's a little bit complicated because he also uh, responds from hand signaling. So he's kind of waiting for a signal with the hand that might be something else. But I'm trying yeah. to replicate well, ears. Yeah. And if I've noticed if he's barking and I pin down with my hands, he'll look at me and shut up. And I, yep. I want other people to try this. This is something, this is one okay, of my weird cool. things. And so I want to put that out there. Let's remind people that we've got a lot of intelligent listeners out there with ears who are listening. <laughs> and our call-in number is 425-373-5527. 425-373-5527. Or toll-free, 888-298-5569. 888-298-5569. Visit us at our website at animalcallsradio.com, and you can get all the information there. We'd love to hear from you with your questions about your pet and other animal behavior. Back to you, Kay. Or even some interesting scary cat stories for Friday the 13th. I, um, you know, I had a friend once that was telling me um, that they... This is going to sound really, really terrible, but, you know, let's go ahead and get creepy. It, it is Friday the 13th. 
a friend of mine had told me that um, one year they they were driving down a scary road next to a cemetery, of course, because you have to have all these factors in place uh, at night in the dark in the spooky little town that's known for paranormal situations, I guess you could call it. And that he quite accidentally hit and killed a black cat. Well, this individual being very, very superstitious. Oh, and it was on Friday the 13th. (laughs) So he was very distraught, very sad as anybody would be that accidentally hits an animal. Um, it's, It's an awful, awful experience and often you never forget it. And he didn't because he then told me that one year to the day later while driving down the same road, he got into an accident, crashed his car, and it went through the wall into the cemetery. And um, he thought that it was something with the, you know, cat kind of pulling him back and and affecting some kind of karma. So if you have any kind of stories like that, I would love to hear them. But uh, that was his story. And he went on to be very, very superstitious. And uh the cats are filled with superstition, as is Friday the 13th. Uh, cats were depicted as villains and bad guys all the way back from the Middle Ages. Um, what I was saying about that to begin with is I think that a, a big difference between cats and dogs and people seeing them differently is that that domestication factor. Cats just really didn't get domesticated. Um, what you see in animals that truly are domesticated is a change in in the gene code like what you see in dogs it's hard to domesticate a cat when they sleep all day well that's true it's hard to domesticate a person if they sleep all day well actually that could be a symptom of domestication in people to sleep all day it would be over domestication wouldn't it but with cats, they they didn't really change in their genes. Like I was saying before, it's almost undetectable between your house cat and a wild forest cat with looking at the gene code, whereas dogs are a far cry from the wolf. Um, there were studies that they did in Russia with fox where in just a handful of generations, you saw fox that were being artificially selected and bred, turning into animals that were playful would respond to their name being called. And what we saw that made a big difference that really showed that they were, I think, a really good candidate for domestication is their coats changing colors, where now you have white fox with black spots on them. So um, this is a, this is a really fun kind of a thing when you look into it. Why are cats so resistant to domestication? And we have a, a caller. Can you introduce the caller for us? Yes, indeed. We've got Aaron on the line calling from Minnesota. Hello, Aaron from Minnesota. Hello. How are you guys today? We're doing great. How? How? What is the weather like in Minnesota right now? It's actually very, very nice. It's uh, 75 and sunny today. Nice. Well, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, what What do we beautiful. have going on? <laughs> so it's just kind of an observation that I've made. I have a 15-year-old cat. uh, Her name is Thelma. And we have this routine um, where at night she, I mean, she's, it's just her and I, Uh, my son has recently grown and moved out of the home and I'm single. So, but she will follow me into my room at night. And I mean, when I get into my bed, bed, you just, you know, like watch TV for a little bit or, you know, have a snack, whatever. 
and she waits in the doorway. And then as soon as I lay down, she jumps up on the bed and she'll come right up by my face and she'll purr. And then when she thinks that I'm sleeping, she gets up and, and then she'll go and sleep where she sleeps at night, which is in the living room by the window. And I just was wondering if there's a reason in it. Does she think she's, I mean, was she very well, maybe is she protecting me or is there a reason that at that time she would come, you know, and, and maybe feel like she needed to be there at that time? That almost sounds like maternal behavior. Is this a, a female cat? She is female. Yep. Is she spayed? She is. Okay. Did she ever have a litter of kittens? She didn't. Mm-mm. She had a sister. That really? Her, her sister's name was um, Louise, so it was Thelma and Louise. And I was just going to suggest that. Yeah, I know, right? There has to be a, a Louise. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, her sister died several years ago. She got um, her liver failed. She was the runt of the litter, so it's just been Thelma mm. for many years. But um, neither of them had a litter. We got them both spayed right away. Now, when the other cat was still alive. Were they very bonded like that? Did they oh sleep gosh. next to each other? Very much so. They, mm-hmm. And when did this, yeah, when did this behavior begin? The the routine of it, it was recently, maybe probably about a year ago. I mean, she's always been near me at bedtime, but not like that strict kind of routine, maybe two years. Yeah. And when did the other cat pass away? Well, Ten years ago. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be something coming back to her as, as she's getting older and aging of mm-hmm. missing having that companionship and looking out for you. I mean, animals have such a beautiful bond with people. I mean, don't, mm-hmm. don't we have just beautiful relationships with, with animals? I, I could see it like that. I mean, there's kind of a missing component in her okay. life of, of not having that sister, not having that companion and just mm-hmm. loving on you. And I mean, that's, that's really cute. It's interesting that she sees you well and then goes and retreats yeah. to her, her place of comfort. And I mean, that could just simply be because, um, you know, sometimes it's too hot for them to want to buddy up next to a human right. being and yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they want a cooler, spot to go lay down in or she's more comfortable in the spot that she's in but that's really sweet that she (laughs) is coming up and doing that and I I could see that if if she started her life out that way of having that companion that she would cuddle up with at night um, wanting to yeah replicate that with you that's really really sweet is there anything else interesting that she does oh she's just a creature of habit you know Um, she's very very um mild mannered and just sweet so um it it goes with her personality you know just that nurturing and caring so and you've had her since she was a kitten i have yes 15 years (laughs) oh my yeah oh yeah yeah she's real (laughs) short and she's real kind of fat so (laughs) she's her legs are super (laughs) short though but she's just a sweetie so what kind of cat um, she was a farm cat. Actually, my ex-husband had gotten her from um, the, one of the guys he used to work with had um, two litters of cats. And he said he was going to take one of them. But he said, I just, I, they were going to take, you know, he didn't know what they were going to do with the rest of the cats. They weren't, you know, he didn't know if they were going to, you know, you know, as they do with farm cats, sometimes they get rid of them. And he said, well, I just had to take two. 
you know, so. Oh, yeah. it's nice when they, you know, find homes for farm cats. We, we have a, an animal shelter over here on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington that is starting uh, a separate area on a separate piece of property that they're calling Kitty City to separate oh. the dogs from the cats. Yeah. And I noticed when I went to, I, I did a whole paper on the shelter because we were studying shelter behavior and, and the ongoings of shelters and what can be done for um, better management and enrichment in animal shelters and addressing the issues like compassion fatigue that shelter workers often have. And yeah, what I, I saw that, listeners, so I can, I can relate to that. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they'll have counselors come in to talk with them in regards to the, you know, offering them some kind of relief with the fatigue that they get from all the things that they go through and things they have to see. So I, Absolutely. you know, com commend you for doing that as well. You know what, maybe your cat's picking up on that. <laughs> like yeah, you need a I'm, little love. <laughs> you know, I'm not anymore. I haven't been a nurse for several years. I, kind of got, I mean, we learned as a hospital, when I was a hospice nurse, we actually had some training and learned that it can actually be a form of post-traumatic stress for the caregiver. Yeah. And, oh. and I honestly couldn't, I didn't last very long. It's just because I'm, I'm empathic. So it's just, I would just give and give everything at work. And it just, I, I had nothing to give my family when I got home. So, you know, oh. I sell insurance now. <laughs> Well, good, good for you for recognizing, you know, what you were comfortable with and then getting into something else that you could do that you're more comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, I just, and you know, again, you put up a boundary. It's like, you just can't, you know? No, I, I completely can relate to that. I, I, I couldn't do something like that. I could not do something like that. I was telling a friend of mine who just passed an EMT class and is becoming an EMT um, God bless you. You know, that Absolutely. is, that is not something I could not go home at night and be able to sleep and not be plagued with nightmares. If I saw things that were Absolutely. upsetting to me all day long, like that, it's that it's, way you don't even know what you're going to come up on. I at least had an idea when I walked into the room to prepare myself. But, um, you know, as, as I got older, I, I realized what it was that was giving me the anxiety and it was just, I didn't have a, a line that I couldn't cross. You know, I didn't have a shut off because I would just give and give and being in that situation, I just, I couldn't put a handle on it. So it's just, even though I loved it, it just, it didn't work for, to be able to balance in my life. So but being young, I didn't well, recognize that. Well, what you would be dealing with as well that um, like an EMT wouldn't be, yeah, they, they walk into horrific situations that they have to manage on the spot. But in your situation, you're forming a bond with the people yes. that you're having to watch decline and eventually pass away. So, I mean, I could see where in that situation you would have more of an emotional impact. Um, whereas, I mean, a, the, an EMT absolutely could have an emotional impact too, but there's almost more of a, I would, I would almost venture to say a psychological impact that they're dealing with of trauma of seeing things that are horrific in your situation. You're, yes. You're not walking in so much on that, but you have that yes. bond that you've formed. These so people um, remember me still to this day, you know, the families and, you know, and, and they're grateful. And, and I, I got to share that, you know, the most intimate part of their lives with them. So, I mean, yeah, it, I'll never, um, I'm so grateful for that experience, you know, but again, to, to be able to, knowing what I know now to put yourself out like that, I, I commend anybody to be in, in any kind of field like that. So 
Well, and, and these are the things that we have this trauma going on in the workplace. And what do we do? We come home. And what do we come home to? We come home to our pets that are yeah, are exactly. feeling that. And they're they're picking up on on these emotions and the stress and this trauma. Absolutely. And they're feeding off of it, whether it's in a positive manner or a negative manner. Or in your case, it sounds positive of having a kitty cat that's coming on up and loving on you and tucking you into bed. At yes, night, absolutely. Which I'm is, grateful. And I try to remember to tell her in the last year, I've, I, I heard this from someone at night I pet her and I tell her, thank you for being such a good friend to me, Thelma, because I want her to know that I'm grateful for her because I think they can absolutely pick up on those things that we say. Oh, I'm sure they can. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I know with dogs, know dogs, <laughs> <laughs> dogs understand the human language. Dogs will um, pick up on so many words where they, they absolutely a hundred percent understand mm -hmm the word. And I believe that um, whereas it's more difficult to to test that with a cat, I mean, right. I've had plenty of people come back and tell me, no, my cat really does understand certain words um, that, and you know, it, it's almost sad when you think about it, that they learn us and they, they, they really will take the time to learn us. And um, what I, you know, have been saying like throughout this, this broadcast is us learning them, understanding their language, understanding what mm -hmm. they're trying to say to us. And I don't know if you caught what I was saying earlier about um, the ears, how much can yes. be emoted yes. through the ears. Do you notice that with your cat? You know, she really, <laughs> I have noticed it. <laughs> we used to have a dog and of course she would, she was the, out of the two sisters, she was the one who would stand in the doorway and we had a, um, Chesapeake and he was just the biggest baby ever but you know she would stand in the doorway because that was like their little area in, into my bedroom and and she would growl and her ears of course would go back and he listened <laughs> and she was the gatekeeper <laughs> so she was kind of the protector and she would tell Louise what to do and then the, you know if they were hungry um Selma would be standing behind and then Louise would come and meow you know so they had that <laughs> communication between the two of them and so you, you were seeing a lot of this being shown in ears. I mean, you know, it's it's yep. very intimidating, the look when you see a cat or a dog pin its ears back. You know, you, is, you yeah. know to take note of that. You know to to kind of step off what's going on and, and step back and and assess the situation when you see those ears get pinned back. So right. what do you yeah, your cat... have anything to be upset about now. So. <laughs> 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 oh, well, yes, you know, that's called management when the uh, you kind of remove or change the situation. Yeah, um, right, right. Yeah, which is often the easiest thing to do. You know, how can I just change the situation? If a dog is barking at, at the window, close the curtains. You know, sometimes yeah. that is the easiest thing to do. But um, what do you think of, do you think that she can read your body language? What What do you oh, see absolutely. in that? She won't approach so, me if I'm, and, and it's, like I said, I've, as I've, you know, gotten older, I think I, being empathic, I always had a hard time reining in my emotions and she won't even approach me if I'm upset. I won't see her. She knows instinctively. Absolutely. So just kind of reading that, that yep. energy. Um, hang on. Sad, she comes to support me too. So hold, hold on one second. We're going to read off the call numbers again, but I want to come back to you. So don't go away. Okay. Yep. Yep. 
we have the ability for you folks to call in and ask questions, just like Aaron has done from Minnesota. You can call in to 425-373-5527, 425-373-5527, or toll-free, 888-298-5569, 888-298-5569. Or you can visit us at animalcallsradio.com, animalcallsradio.com, and we've got all the numbers and the live link for listening there. Back to you, KK. And let's get back with Aaron um, because I was enjoying this. So with your cat, do you notice when you're saying things like you get upset and your cat reads that immediately or you're having a bad day and your cat will um, avoid because she understands what you're, what you're feeling and what you're mm-hmm. um, showing off in body language and your emotions when you're doing that. Here's another question in, in regards to that. How forgiving would you say she is being a cat? I mean, what what would be oh, the withdrawal hesitate. period? <laughs> they don't hesitate. As soon as that's gone, as soon as she knows that I'm not angry anymore, she's there. They don't, cat, as far as I'm concerned, animals don't hold grudges. They're not, they're just unconditional love. They don't have the capability to hold a grudge. I see it in some dogs sometimes, and sometimes you'll hear people say that, though, about cats. I mean, you may have just a real beautiful relationship with yours. Some seem to be more prone to instantly forgiving um, a lot of dogs, even just instantly forgiving mm-hmm. versus ones that will kind of seem to hold a grudge and hold off before they'll come up to you after a while. Say like if a person's yelled at their dog or at their cat the animal can be a little apprehensive to reapproaching them. And, you know, whether it's they're, you know, holding a grudge, I mean, that's kind of anthropomorphizing um, one of our emotions onto an animal, or it could just be fear. Like I can't really read you yet that you're okay with me. I, I do see some dogs being more emotional and kind of holding things longer than other dogs do. Um, That's something that would be. um, Thing where I've, I've had, I've, I'm not able to be a good dog owner. I love them so much that I think I love them too much where they seem to act naughty around me, <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> to you. Um, for instance. I think um, it, it's a product of spoiling. Go on. <laughs> well, it's like I, I, I'm just a nurturer at heart. And so, um, like, I would walk into a room and my friend's dog would jump up onto the table, which they never did. You know, it's like they feel so much at ease with me that they just – and I had no problems. I mean, my kids were never – you know, like overly spoiled, they behaved, you know, no talking back. But for some reason with animals, I just, I must put off this, like, do anything you want kind of a vibe because they tend to just run away and just, oh, I'm free. And, you know, like there's no fear and they just act really, really naughty around me. So I just um, stuck with Velma because, um, yeah, I've just had some, (laughs) I've just been a track record for dogs with me. So, Well, you're fun. You're fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can I can kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, I have uh, a real one of my my theories uh, as an animal scientist. We we often will have our own little theories going on all the time. That um, obedience obedience is is a big 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 thing. You know there mm-hmm. are cats tend to be low obedience, and I think that that's because they're more of a wild animal and they they don't have that domestication real strong thing going on like a lot of dogs do. But there are breeds of dogs that are um, in that wolf genome cluster that come across as less obedient. And it's not just my opinion. If you sat there and Googled things to get that 
readout of uh, this particular breed, it might say something like uh, Siberian Husky, high intelligence, high problem solving, low obedience. And mm-hmm. I, I would put that onto the wolf genome and having that little touch of wild, which I think cats have as well. So when you don't, when you, you don't affect obedience through um, positive reinforcement as much. And I'm going to go out on a limb saying that with, with certain breeds of dog that you really can reel in and have them being, you know, doing anything you want them to do, like you're hurting uh, breeds, they're dogs that tend to accept discipline and accept um, punishment. And you see okay. obedience being more affected when you can accept punishment. I think this also bleeds over to human beings if you want to go into sure. that. But but the animals that still have a bit of wild in them, they really don't accept punishment. You get much further working with them with positive reinforcement. So with that, if you have a, a bunch of dogs and all they're seeing is somebody who is implementing positive reinforcement, it can kind of become a free for all of, Hey, let's just all have fun. And, and whereas the cat yeah. isn't going to, you know, the cat's going to be good with the positive reinforcement anyway. I mean, you really can't affect a whole lot of obedience. I'm, I'm going to say that with a cat because they are more of your wild free thinking animal. And I'm not casting anything negative on that. I'm explaining it from a behaviorist uh, position that mm-hmm. why should they listen to you? Um, it doesn't mean that they're more or less intelligent. I think it's because they're of such perfect design that they didn't need to alter anything. Um, You know, we like to think of things evolving, um, being that with evolution, you're evolving into something that's better, 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 better. But then you look at something like a shark. Sharks have not evolved really at all. This is a prehistoric creature that's still among us Mm -hmm. because it was such an effective hunting beast it really didn't need to change anything. Right. And I, I kind of see cats the same way. They didn't really need to change anything. They they didn't care one way or the other. They are who they are. And they're yeah, comfortable that with that. Sense. And yeah, yeah, and they're effective that way. So they're not really obedient animals because they didn't have to learn um, to be obedient to human beings to better their their lifestyle or to have that be like a survival strategy. So um you know, that's kind of where you're at with that. So yeah, I could see a bunch of dogs just thinking, woohoo, this is a cat person. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's I know. party I a, time. I had a miniature dachshund and she, I could never get her potty trained as I tried and tried and tried and she just wouldn't. Um, and if she got out without a chain or leash, she would just run for miles. And then I had a, um, oh, um, not a basset hound. It was a, um, a beagle. So both uh, tones. And he was the same way. I mean, just a lover, but I could not. I mean, if someone would come to the door, he would just bolt out and just run and run and run. And, you know, so, yeah. There are definitely more challenging breeds. And, you know, sometimes people will have these really easy keeper breeds, like your herding breeds, that do everything that they're asked to do. And then these people can get kind of cocky. I've, I have noticed that working with people. You know, you've got the person with the, the Dosh Hunt or the Pomeranian. Why does it run out the door when I open the door? It's, they're a more challenging breed. They, they think more along those ways of, of doing something like that. And they can be 
far more challenging to deal with than the person who's sitting over there that's all cocky with a border collie. Well, my border <laughs> collie doesn't do that. Yeah, maybe maybe you're not being really good to your dog. Why is your dog taking off out the door and running away from you? And they don't realize how much of this is genetic. And, and you know, there's different ways. Now, a, a trainer could give you more effective methods of what to do training to to kind of reel that in. But, you know, again, I see that so much. I, I've noticed like I'm on some pages on Facebook, like American Eskimo pages and Shetland Sheepdog pages. I'm going to say the people with the Shetland Sheepdogs are more cocky about their dogs. And, you know, everybody's a professional dog trainer that has a sheepdog. Yeah, but everyone, yeah. On, yeah, everyone on the Esky page um, is more humbled you know, they, they, they're more open eared to listening to advice than the, than the sheepdog people are. Um, and something you were saying too, about loving on dogs and kind of spoiling them. I have a farm and I bond with my dogs. I'm very bonded with my dogs. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I have a, I, I'm not, I wouldn't want to have, people always tell me you should get a livestock guardian dog. And I'm like, you know what? The point of those is to leave them out there with, um, without you bonding to them. So they bond to your flock. I couldn't do that. And I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, see, now I'm in the same boat with you. That would be so hard for me to do. We have another caller on the line. And so I want to get to that because we only have a few minutes Absolutely. left. But, you know, hey, call back anytime you want. This has been Thanks a great so conversation. Much. Hey, Aaron, before you go, I would like to know, since you're from Minnesota and our first caller from there, how did you find out about us? Yeah. Uh, Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. YouTube. 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 Okay. Great. Glad to hear about it. Okay. Thanks. Very cool. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Have a great day. Take You too. Take care. And we have another caller from Seattle. We do. We've got Robin on the line right now calling from Seattle. She's got a cat question as well. It's a kitty day. Awesome. Well, it's Friday the 13th. Bring on the kitties. <laughs> okay. Um, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, male cat. I've had him, my first cat for about seven or eight months. Love it. And um, he's happy to be really happy, thriving, to go outside a lot. He has a cat door, comes in occasionally, but loves it outside. But come winter, I know when I first got him, you know, he spent a lot of time inside. And we're going to be going on vacation for, you know, two weeks here and there. And I didn't know, um, do what, should I get another cat? I don't know how he'll respond to that. Or do you think he'll be happy on his own? Uh, with someone just coming in to feed him, maybe spending time, or do I need someone to stay overnight here? What's your advice? Um, I'm happy to get another cat but or maybe a kitty, but I don't know if that's going to be good or bad or if he'd be just as happy on his own. Or is it cat well, to cat? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> This is a fantastic question. Um, I would say ordinarily, well, for one, he's two years old. Is he neutered? Two and a half, yes. Okay, and he's neutered. Um, uh, my opinion as a behaviorist, I think he would be just fine on his own. Cats don't have to have a companion. I mean, some cats love having a companion. Um, if he wasn't used to being around other cats when he was little, it can be harder introducing he he, another I, cat. I adopted him from Nico Cat place in Seattle where he was around other cats and they were actually going to keep him there but then he started being a little aggressive just kind of chasing them he's a small cat but still um so I didn't know so then I got to adopt him so maybe he has been around other cats but again he was starting to be a little aggressive just chasing them 
My opinion, I think he would be absolutely fine by himself and maybe having somebody come in on occasion to check on him, clean out the litter box and bring him food. Okay. Um, a really good thing that you could do too to make him happy is uh-huh. get get a lot of hiding spaces if you're going to be keeping him contained while you're gone, which is probably a good idea. Not um, let him go outside? I would maybe keep him indoors if it's winter and you're out of town because, you know, they may go wandering and you wouldn't be around to alert anyone if he didn't come back home. Um, what you can do is make make things or get like those cat houses that go way up high on, on you know, different levels. Okay. Cats like to and, – and maybe consider getting him some of those um, little food toys. You know, they have these little food bait station things that you can put around places that they go hunting and looking for it. We what we found – yeah. Now, and, and areas to hide, places to get away from things, um, places to climb, climb up on. Sometimes okay. people make these really neat things out of bookcases where the cat can crawl up on the bookcase and they're perched up high. What what we found when we were studying things like in, in zoos, mm-hmm. your, your wild cats, what made them the happiest wasn't another cat, but was rather being able to spend time looking for food and hunting and having puzzles to solve and and games to play. That made them happy. Whereas chimpanzees, they needed companionship above anything. Um, When you look at hooved stock, uh, horses, antelope, anything, Mm -hmm. they like to have that happiness in numbers and in large spaces. Mm -hmm. Cats, Cats, even wild cats in zoo environments, seemed to be happiest and best adjusted when they had um, a territory to themselves Mm -hmm. and things to do like hunting down food and and looking for things. Even if you're putting little catnip mouses stuffed up in some place where it's going to take them days to find it, that um, puzzles and treats and and hidden food and yeah, allowing them to hunt, they're they're independent hunters. They don't hunt in packs. So, you know, generally they can live a very happy, peaceful life as a solitary animal. They really can. That's great advice. And I will do that. I'm curious though. I have a friend who has two cats. They got together maybe when they were babies and they're inseparable and sleep together and cuddle. Is it different if you get them as babies together? um, Definitely. Definitely. There's a critical period um, for cats that if they've had that imprinting of another human being handling them to make them uh, something that's pet quality, whereas if they miss that critical period, it can be really difficult to ever make them not behave like a feral animal. Uh, And the same goes for bonding with another cat. If they have that litter mate, Uh that buddy, oh yeah, then they're, they're bonded for life. Okay, and, just uh, with and that so, cat, yeah. just not necessarily another one. True. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah, they're not awesome. a pack animal. They're individuals. They're independent hunters, and they tend to gravitate towards living, um, living that way, hunting that way, and they're quite happy that way. So they're a wonderful pet for somebody who, who wants to get away and, and um, not have to be there all the time. The cat's totally cool with that. Well, like that they joke with the... <laughs> Yeah, they joke with the pandemic, you know, with people coming back from work. Dogs, you know, dogs are dogs are upset that you're leaving and going to work. Cats are like, finally, I have the house to myself. So, um, yeah, we're we're winding the show down. But thank you for your call, and you know, we we want to hear 
want to hear how it goes. When you come back from your vacation, have a great vacation and let us know how that went. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I feel much better now. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Bye. You know, when I had a cat, I would just leave him a six pack of catatonic and take off. <laughs> yeah, well, people need to know that. <laughs> All right. There's some advice right on. Well, hey, join us next week and keep bringing the questions. We love hearing them. Um, give your pets hugs and kisses unless they are venomous. Um, and even at that, Good luck with that. Good luck to you who have venomous pets. We will see you next week, hear you next week. Give us a call. And everybody have a wonderful Friday the 13th and love on your little black kitty cats. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.